Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 today, and we're going to look specifically at verses 16 through 21, and we're going to talk about what a city really needs. And I want us to begin by thinking about this lesson from this vantage point. If you and I had the opportunity to visit various cities all across this country, and sit down with the leaders of these particular cities and begin asking them a laundry list of questions. What are some of your needs? What do you think they would say? I would imagine that some would begin talking about their economic problems, how they need a greater financial base, some might talk about their need for more social programs. They need things that they can offer to the citizens of the city that they are serving as leaders in. Some would say they have educational needs. But there might be a lot of needs that would emerge out of a conversation with various leaders all across this country. But I really believe that when you begin looking at the cities all across our country, what cities really need are Christ. Paul in the book of Colossians talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. It doesn't matter if we're on the east coast or the west coast, if we are in the northeast, the southwest, the southeast, the Northwest, whatever the case may be, what people really need are Christ. That's what they need. And so in Acts chapter 17, we have an account of the Apostle Paul making his way into the city of Athens. And Athens was a great city in this day, that is in the first century. And when Paul got to the city of Athens, I think what stood out to him was the intrinsic need that that city had. And that need, of course, was Christ. And so first of all, I want us to note his arrival in Athens. And then we're going to talk about his anger over what he saw in Athens. And then we'll look thirdly at his actions in Athens. First of all, let's talk for just a moment about his arrival in Athens. And as we, look at, as we look at the city of Athens and as we begin to explore Acts chapter 17, first of all, we need to look back at some of his endeavors prior to getting to the city of Athens. And so, note with me, if you would, in verse 1 of chapter 17. Paul has made his way down to the city of Thessalonica. And what you find in the teaching and preaching exploits of the Apostle Paul, there is really what I would call a cycle of events that occurs. 
Paul goes into a particular city. He preaches the gospel. He reasons with the people. And then out of that reasoning process, there is a response. And then typically, he is run out of, out of the city or he finds, he meets hardship because of the rogue behavior of some. And so in verse two, here's what Luke tells, tells us. He said, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the third day, or rather from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring him out to the people. Verse six, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these men or these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And really what happens, Paul and Silas, they are literally run out of town. And so down in verse 10, they make their way to the city of Berea. Geographically, this was a distance of about 250 miles by land. By sea, it would have been about three days. So Paul and Silas, they make their way to Berea. And note, if you would, the events that transpire when they get to Berea. Again, this same cycle emerges. They reason with the people in Berea. The people respond, and then again, they meet hardship. But in verse 10, the Bible says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That seems to be a natural a natural thing with them, they sought out a synagogue to go and to preach and to teach. Verse 11, these were more fair-minded or noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. One of the differences between the Bereans and the Thessalonians, the Bereans checked out. They researched what they heard in light of God's word. They went back and looked at the scriptures to see whether or not what Paul and Silas were teaching them was indeed the truth of Almighty God. And so in verse 12, the Bible says, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. It's interesting that Paul, wherever he went, seemed to be met with opposition. And yet, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of that cradle of persecution, what happened to the church? It grew by leaps and bounds. And so, many people were obeying the gospel and becoming New Testament Christians. So we talk about the events that transpired prior to his arrival in Athens, but now note, if you would, his entrance into the city. Verse 14, immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. 
But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens. So Paul, he leaves Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and now he's in Athens. Athens was a tremendous center of learning, philosophies abounded in that day and time. It was really an intellectual hub. It was an elite center. And and so here Paul finds himself in the midst of this great metropolitan city. Now having said that, I want you to consider with me the anger of Paul over what he saw in Athens. Look again at verse 16. We think about his feelings and then we're going to note the facts. The Bible says in verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. This idea of his spirit being provoked within him really carries with it the idea of burning anger. And it is as if the more he saw, the angrier he became. Here's the Apostle Paul. He looks out over the city and he sees that this city has given given itself over to rampant idolatry, paganism, if you please. His feelings and the facts, the facts of the matter, Luke tells us the whole city was given over to idolatry. Now I think about I think about Jesus during his earthly ministry. And there is what is called righteous indignation. And I think that's what Paul demonstrated while in the city of Athens. Back in John chapter 2, you remember Jesus went to the temple on one occasion? And when he went to the temple, he found people literally making merchandise of the house of Almighty God. And so he drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And that was, I think, a great example of righteous indignation. He was angry because people had sold out, spiritually speaking. Well, Paul here is angry, but his anger is because of the fact that the devil has had his way with these people. Here are individuals that are steeped in idolatry. Now let me ask this question. When we look around in in the world today, let me ask this question. When you look around and you survey the moral landscape of our our country, what, what comes to your mind? Does it not make you angry in a righteous sense of the word? Does it not literally boil your blood to see people who have become steeped in pluralism? The idea that, hey, your way is as good as my way, that all roads lead to heaven, there's no such thing as absolute truth. One religion 
One philosophy is as good as another. Or what about this hedonistic lifestyle that so many have embraced in our day and time? That really finds its roots in the teaching of Epicurus. The Apostle Paul talks about those Epicurean philosophers. And really what they taught, pleasure is the chief aim of life. Look at people today. How if you begin to talk to them, what life is all about, what makes me happy? What brings gratification to my life? Paul talks about those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Some have become so steeped in a lifestyle that is at variance with the will of God that it's disheartening. And so when we look around in the world today and we see people who are embracing this spirit, this philosophy of pluralism or hedonism, I think about homosexuality. We love people who are caught up in a lifestyle of homosexuality. But we can't condone their behavior. And the reason is because God said it's wrong. But there are many in our society today that want to say, hey, it's okay. There are many in our world today that, that will take that moral issue and others and they'll say we need to be accepting of that. When the Apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth, what did he find in Corinth? The Bible says he was met by people who were living in fornication and idolatry and adultery and homosexuality. Some were thieves, some were covetous, some were drunkards, some were revilers. And yet Paul went to that city with the intent of preaching the gospel to those people. He spent some 18 months in the city of Corinth preaching and teaching the word of God according to Acts 18 verse 8. And the Bible says many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now I said a moment ago that you could go to any city all across this country and you could begin interrogating the leaders of our cities all across this great nation as to the needs they may think they have. You would get a variety of answers, but really the basic need has not changed down through the years. You can go from city to city. Go back and look at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. Sodom and Gomorrah, they were immoral cities. And Moses tells us that when God looked at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said their sin is very grave. Peter would tell us they became an example to all who would live ungodly. I think about Jonah. When Jonah was instructed to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, because God said, their wickedness has come up before me. My point is, look, times may change. Generations come and go, but the things that make people tick and the problems that people have and the difficulties that people find themselves in and the sins that people embrace, they have not changed. Maybe they're packaged a little bit differently, but really things haven't changed very much. And so when you look at the Apostle Paul, you find him going into the city of Athens. He's upset. 
He's angry, he's mad, and the reason is because people have given themselves over to idolatry. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see as we look at our lesson text. And here's the question, what did Paul do about it? Let's note the actions of the apostle Paul. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. First of all, I want you to consider the one that the Apostle Paul preached about. If you and I were to look at Acts chapter 17, what stands out is Paul preached Jesus. In other words, he preached the Son of God. When, when you look at, at, at our nation today, when you look at our world today, what is it people need to hear about? They need to hear about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we ask the question, Who did Paul preach about? He preached about Jesus. Go from city to city, place to place, and you find the apostle Paul doing what? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the Son of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Christ was the focal point of Paul's preaching and teaching. I mentioned a moment ago, Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think wherever Paul went, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Paul realized that people had great needs. Those needs were intrinsically the same from city to city, from coast to coast, from place to place. Things haven't changed. What do people need today? They need to hear about the Son of God. Now, the Bible says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. We talk about the one whom he preached, but note, if you would, where he preached. First, he preached in the synagogues and in the marketplace. The synagogue would have been a place where religious people tended to congregate, Jews and possibly Gentile proselytes, those who had converted over to Judaism. You can read about the stranger in the gate back in first. Kings chapter 8. But nonetheless, Paul is here and he's reasoning with these people out of the scriptures about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then he goes to the marketplace. Now the marketplace, I think about a great hub where people bought and sold and people traded in their commerce. And historians say in the afternoon, individuals tended to congregate and they would begin to, to teach on various things. And so I think the Apostle Paul, he took this opportunity to share the gospel with those in the city of Athens. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. When, when you think about Athens, Greece, what comes to your mind? I think about some of the great communicators of the past, some of the great philosophers of days gone by. Paul here 
was said to have talked to those who had embraced the teaching of Epicurus and then also those who were Stoic philosophers. The Stoics, they were founded by Zeno and they believed that everything was governed by fate. Now here he is in this great metroplex, if you please. He is surrounded by all of these philosophers and they know all of these great philosophies and they spend their time in nothing else but either to hear or to tell some new thing. They're always interested in the latest fad, the latest, the latest philosophy on the street. They know all of these great truths, but here's something they don't know. They don't know anything about Jesus. Yes, Paul went to the religious centers and taught those people about Jesus, the Son of God. But here he is in the metroplex, the marketplace, and he is having to identify for these people the Son of God. Now we talk about the application of Scripture and how Scripture is relevant from generation to generation, from age to age. Look at, look at our society today. When, when I was growing up as a young boy, Everybody, to my knowledge, knew about the Bible. Everybody knew about Jesus. When, when you talked about Eastern religions, they were foreign to most people. When you talked about Islam, Islam we didn't even know what Islam was, the teaching of Islam, when I was a boy. I, never, I don't even know if I'd even heard about it. But that's not the case today. We live in a day and time when people they do not know the difference between the Quran and the Bible. In their minds, both are God's word. And so what do we have to do? We have to do just what Paul did nearly 2,000 years ago. We, have to have, we, we literally have to have our guns loaded. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to be able to sit down with people and objectively talk to them about the scriptures. We need to be able to show them that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. We need to be able to prove without a shadow of, doubt, of a doubt that salvation is exclusively in Christ. We have to be able to talk about the church that Jesus bought and purchased with his blood. To talk about why people need Christ in their lives. Now, we, we talk about the one that Paul preached, the person he preached, the places where he preached, but note again the people to whom he preached. The Jews, the Gentile proselytes, and the philosophers. Just the people who lived in Athens. Some of those people had never heard about Christ. They may have known about some of the great philosophers of days gone by, but they were totally ignorant of Moses and the prophets. If I were to ask you today, who do you view as a candidate for Christianity? What would you say? My take is everybody, everybody, is a candidate. 
We, we live in a day and time when our world sadly does not know Christ. We live in a country that sadly in many places they know nothing of Christ. Go from city to city and talk to people and really get to know people. And one of the things you'll find out, you'll come in contact with a lot of folks. They don't know anything about New Testament Christianity. They really don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about the church. They don't know anything about life. They have no idea where we came from, what we're doing here, where we're going. And those are three basic philosophical questions that people have tried to answer for years. We have the answer. The answer is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When I look at the city of Athens, I really see a template for us today. What we ought to do is, is to learn from the teaching and the preaching of the Apostle Paul to realize that there is a large world, there's a lar there, there is a large sea of people out there that what they need is, is the gospel. They need Christ. I would encourage us, reach out to those who are lost and dying in sin. We talk about the moral ills of our country. We talk about some of the problems that we are facing in our society I've said it before and I'll say it again. The answer to the ills of our nation and the world at large, it's Christ. I mean, we can talk about the economy. We can talk about politics. We can talk about social programs. We can talk about educational programs. We can talk about a lot of different things, but it all goes back to one thing. Men, women, and children need Christ in their lives. That's what we need. So, let me ask this question. Are you a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? In a very articulate way, Paul preached the gospel to the people in Athens. And he warned them of a judgment to come. And whether we like it or not, we are moving closer and closer to the judgment. When the judgment will occur, I have no idea, but I know this. The Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. One day, as Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. So when we stand before Jesus on the judgment day, will we be found faithful? If you're not a Christian, we plead with you today, come to Christ. Believe that he is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And then be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2, 38. If you do that and you live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. And then it may be that you're here today and you are Maybe you are a Christian, but you know your life's not what it ought to be. Listen, we're a family because we belong to the family of God. I don't know of any family that doesn't have problems from time to time. And the beauty of a family is families work together. 
And families care about one another. And families love one another. And so if you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, we want you to know that we love you, we care about you, and we want what's best for you. And what's best for you is to get right with God. Come home. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Hi, I'm Mike Hickson. We hope you've enjoyed the Anchor the Soul radio broadcast. Our worship services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ begin at 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. Our Sunday evening service starts at 6 p.m. If you're in the Olive Branch area, we would love to have you visit with us. Services at the Olive Branch Church of Christ are streamed live over the Internet each week. Please visit our website for additional details. That website is www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Join us again next Sunday morning on this station at 8.30 a.m. for the Anchor of the Soul. This is a presentation of Spiritual Sword Media.